still raising money for Georgia Barnett through the end of September really is uh, our, our time to do that. But of course you can give any time of the year and help support our church plants uh, and among other many other ministries in our state. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2 or type in Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 47. We've, we've been here a while, and I'm not promising we uh, won't move on after this, but I'm not promising we will either. Uh, we're taking Acts, 41, Acts 2, 41 through 47, and we're turning it a little bit. We're, we're looking at it from a, a different angle, catching a, a different perspective, uh, similarly, similar to what you would do with a, a painting or a sculpture. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time I went to a museum, but I remember which museum that I've been to stands out the most. Uh, we were on a mission trip in uh, Spain, and part of our time was spent in Madrid, and we went to the, uh, the National Museum of, of Art there in Spain. Um, Reina Sofia, I believe, is the name of it. And a couple of things stand out in my mind uh, while there. One was a, a piece of artwork, a sculpture out in the courtyard uh, inside the museum or you know, in between the buildings. Y'all know what a courtyard is. Um, it was a mobile like what you know, kindergartners make, only it was a little more elaborate. Uh, but, but that's what it was. And, and you couldn't see all of the mobile. It was a good oh, two, three stories tall. Uh, you could actually go up onto the balconies of the building and, and see it from different angles and see it from the top and the bottom and the side. And, and you had to, to, to really get the, the feeling of it and the, the perspective of it. Um, that's one piece of artwork that stands out in my mind. The other one was uh, Pablo Picasso's Huernica, the, uh, the actual painting. Uh, it, it's, it represents... Um, was it Civil War or just war in general? I, I, not our Civil War, uh, Spanish Civil War. It might have represented when um, Franco took over, but I'm not sure about that. I think that may have been after World War II. Anyway, the historicity of it doesn't matter. It's the immensity of it. The, the painting is 25 and a half feet long and 11 and a half feet tall. Uh, it's huge. And you go into this room, and it's the only painting in the room. The, it's in a stark white room. The painting itself is in black and white, maybe some shades of gray. And you can't stand in one spot and look at it. You've got to move around. You've got to go from one end to the other. And, and you get too close, and you can't get the whole thing. You've got to stand back, but you've got to get close to see it. Well, that's what we have to do with Scripture. That's, that's the, the, not just this passage, but every passage. The Bible constantly speaks from passages we have read over and over and over and heard preached on over and over and over. The, it continually speaks to us as we move to one side of it or the other or we turn it or we get above it or we look from below and we get all these different perspectives. So that's why we are still in uh, these last few verses of Acts chapter 2 or at least we keep coming back to them. Talking about casting your net, casting my net, casting 
our net, and we are looking at this morning the church and evangelism. The past two weeks we talked about a culture of evangelism. This morning we're looking at the church and evangelism. Because in, inherent in a church that has a culture of evangelism is a church that functions correctly overall. See, there's, there's a beginning to it. There are certain properties and aspects that must be in order in the church, in what we do, in order for a culture of evangelism to exist. We've got to get some foundational uh, things correct in order for us to be able to build on that foundation. And a culture of evangelism is built on a foundation the same way uh, the Louisiana culture of today is built on a foundation of 300 years uh, or, or more when you're counting uh, Native Americans that were here before us, uh, a culture that was just constantly built on each other. The foundation was laid and we built on that culture. That's the way it works in the church. We must have a, a proper foundation in order to have a culture of evangelism. Now this morning, just like the last two Sundays, is not a message on how to have a culture of evangelism because we talked about I cannot give you the steps to that I can only give you what it looks like and what we should yearn for but this morning is what must exist for there to be a culture of evangelism we've got to get some things right first Acts 2 41 through 47 is a great place to see that as well as the whole of Acts I mean over and over and over we see first church doing those things that, that we are called to do, living out a culture of evangelism, but, and, and showing us what church should be. But this passage shows us really, at its most basic uh, uh, beginning, its most basic, there's a word I'm looking for and can't find, it's just what, it, the bare bones, it's what it should be in a church. Read with me. Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and, they, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meet together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This morning we're going to look at three different uh, components of what the church should be in order to have a foundation that is conducive to a culture of evangelism. We're going to look first at what the church is, we're going to look at what the church does, and we're going to look at the mission of the church, all from this passage right here. We're going to look at some definitions of these, uh, these questions or these statements, what the church is, what the church does, and the mission of the church, but we're going to see how this passage in Acts informs those definitions, gets us to those definitions. We're also going to look this morning at how the correct answers to these questions or the, the correct uh, description of these statements provide the environment for a culture of evangelism because that's what we're talking about, making a place where evangelism thrives. 
uh, when you're going to plant a garden. You don't just go out to some pasture that, you know, well, here's, here's a spot, and you start dumping seeds. You prepare the ground. You, you, you may have to cut trees, pull up stumps, pull, get rid of rocks. You till it. You plow it. Depending on what's in there, you may till it and till it and till it again. And then you plow it and you prepare it and you might have to fertilize it. And maybe you use some sort of weed killer to, for a couple of years to get rid of, you know, over and over you do things to, in order to plant the crop that you're planning on planting. Well, that's what we need to do at church. Till and plow and prepare that we have a, for, uh, prepare to have a culture of evangelism. This morning is not a 10-step program uh, that we can follow. There's no policy change that we can do that it will create a culture of evangelism. We can't put it in our lists of do's and don'ts. We can't put it in our constitution and suddenly have a con uh, culture of evangelism. A culture of evangelism can't be regulated, coerced, commanded, or amended. We can't do it in a business meeting. A culture of evangelism has to begin in the hearts of the people of the church. And if we are doing church as church should be done, then a culture of evangelism springs from that as we yearn for those ten aspects of a culture of evangelism that we've talked about for the last week. Or two weeks, rather. And a culture change like this that we're talking about, because that's really what we're talking about, is a culture change in a church. If the culture of evangelism does not exist, then we must change the culture. And a culture change can take years of trial and error stops and starts but it has to begin somewhere at some point in some time the church has to decide we are going to be the church that we're supposed to be we're going to do the things we're supposed to do we're going to have the mission that Jesus gave us and because we are there because we are doing those three things we are getting church right we will see a culture of evangelism grow in our midst as we yearn for God to do some amazing things in our fellowship. So that's what we're talking about this morning. First question, for first aspect is what the church is. First thing we're looking at this morning. It's a long definition, but it's a necessary definition. The church is, and this isn't the only definition. This definition is pulled from a few different places. Depending on who you ask, you're going to get different phrasing here, but you're going to get this basic answer. Local gathering of born-again, baptized Christians who covenant together in love to meet regularly under the authority of the scriptures and the leadership of the pastor and ministry staff to worship God, be a visible image of the gospel, and to give glory to God. That's what a church is. It's what the church is. This defines who we are, and we see that in verses 41 through 42 of Acts chapter 2. And we can just go right through those two verses and see it. A local gathering of born-again, baptized Christians, verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized. So they became Christians because they believed, and then they were baptized, and they were added to the church. That day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So now it's a local gathering of born-again, baptized Christians. That's important. We do not have a congregation, or at least we're not supposed to have a membership, rather, of unsaved people. 
If we have unsaved people on our membership role, if we have unbaptized people on our membership role, we've done it wrong. The church is not made up of unbelievers or unbaptized people. Now, that doesn't mean you can't come here if you're not saved. We want you to come here if you're an unbeliever. We want you to hear the gospel. If you aren't baptized, that doesn't mean you can't join us in, in any of our events, doing the things we're doing. We, we want you to be here to grow and be discipled. But in order to be a part of the local church, the Bible is clear that you must be saved and you must be baptized. So this isn't unimportant. It seems unimportant to, to us Baptists because we would just kind of say, well, duh. But that's not the way we're trending, certainly, even sometimes in the Baptist church, but not every church believes it as strongly as we do. So it's a local gathering of born-again baptized Christians who covenant together in love. Look at how that verse, was, uh, verse 42 begins. They devoted themselves. That devotion was a covenant. They were devoted, covenant, covenanted, uh, contracted. They agreed to be together, to come together. As we see, as we move through the passage, at every opportunity, not just on Sunday morning at 1030, maybe Sunday night, maybe a few less on Wednesday night. Not, but at every opportunity, the church came together, covenanted together to meet regularly, it says, under the authority of, of the scriptures and the leadership of the pastor and ministry staff. Look at the verse. They devote, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what they came together for. That was their main activity. We're going to look at this when we talk about what the church does. But they came together, their reason to come together was to study God's word together under the authority and the leadership of those who were over them in the ministry. So they came together uh, the, to, to worship God, the definition says, be a visible image of the gospel and to give glory to God. The verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. They were giving themselves to each other, to the breaking of bread. They were coming together in fellowship, both to get to know each other better, to, live, uh, to, to lift each other up, but also, as we've talked about that phrase before and we'll talk about here in a minute, to share the Lord's Supper together, one of the two ordinances of the church. And then uh, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In prayer, we do so much more than ask God for things. At least we should be doing more than just asking God for things. When we pray, we give glory to God. When we pray, we are a visible image of the gospel. Because it is the gospel that opens the door to prayer. It is the gospel, it is our salvation that rips the veil. Jesus Christ ripped the veil, ripped apart the separation between us and God. Therefore, when we pray, we are practicing the very thing that the gospel did for us. We are practicing the very thing that Jesus did for us on the cross. He, he broke down the separation. So when we pray, if we are just praying Lord, say, you know, heal this person and don't let the hurricane be too bad. And, 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 we're, and we're praying harder to keep sick people out of heaven than to get lost people into heaven. Then we are very likely praying incorrectly. We are losing the power of our prayer. 
they came together to pray, to give glory to God, to be the image of what the gospel does. And what the gospel does is unite us with God through Jesus Christ. And we see that in the early church. That's what, they, that's what we are. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what the church is. What the church does is the next question, or the next statement. The church actually does only a few things. They gather to hear the word of God preached, sing, pray, give, practice the ordinances, and care for one another. The reality is there are many, many things that we could take out of church. We could remove from the uh, activity list of the local church and still be the church. But if we remove the preaching, it's not church. We take away the Bible study, it's not church. We take out the worship, the giving, the caring for each other, it's not church. We see it right here in verses 43 through 46. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. You can see right there, as well as in the previous two verses, you see what the church does. And you see the only things that are necessary for the church to be the church. Doesn't mean we can't do more, and we do. Doesn't mean we don't do ministries outside of the church, and we do. Right now, people, let me tell you how our children's ministry is exploding. We started Kids Beach Club last Monday at Frash Elementary, and we were amazed that as we led up to the first day, we had 54 kids pre-registered. But then as that first day went on, we added another five, six, ten. To the point that right now, getting ready for our second meeting of the semester, we have, last I heard, 79 kids registered for Kids Beach Club. 79 kids. Y'all, we need about four or five more adults to say, I can be there at 2.30 at Frash Elementary and stay till about 3.15. 4.15, sorry, that was gonna, a little easier than I thought, than in reality. Get there at 2.30 and say, I can stay till 4.15, 4.30 and help. Every week for in the school year. Because we've got 80 kids coming, excited about hearing a Bible story, about learning about Jesus. We had one kid tell Amy, and I'm, you're going to have to help me because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misremember. Uh, tell me what she said. Y'all didn't hear that. I'll tell you. A little girl came, said, I'm excited to come because at my church, we just play games and stuff. And Amy's response was, well, when you come here, we're going to tell you what the Bible says and all about Jesus. And she said, great, I'm excited to be here. She wants a fourth grader, third grader, fifth grader, one of those three. That is our children's ministry. But that's just one aspect. Awana, over 80 kids. Amy needs about four or five adults to continue to help with Awana because we have so many kids coming to Awana. Uh, Tuneful Tuesdays had nearly 30 kids, if I remember, last week on the first 
uh, first day of Tuneful Tuesday. That's just one aspect. We don't want to get rid of those things. Those are ministry opportunities that we are going to begin to utilize to reach families, to bring them into the church, to reach people who have never heard the gospel or at the very least are completely unfamiliar with it and tell them that Jesus loves them and he died for them and he wants to save them. So we don't want to do anything to take that away. But we must realize that if we don't have the basics of what the church does, then we won't get the rest of the things right. What we see in a church that's doing correctly what it's supposed to do is that the people do the ministry. It is the responsibility of the church to be in the community, whatever that community is, sharing the gospel. Look at how little that passage talks about the pastors, the leaders, the apostles, the ministers. All it says is that the believers were together and, and held things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any has need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. And those three verses, staff's never mentioned. Because it's the people doing the ministry of the church. It is your responsibility, First Baptist Church of Sulphur, to reach the children of Frash Elementary. It is your responsibility, people of First Baptist Sulphur, to reach the parents of the children of Frash Elementary. And I could go on and on. It is not the staff's responsibility. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm just trying to get out of work. No. This is not me trying to get the staff out of the work. This is me trying to be biblical so the staff can do their actual work. Notice what the apostles did. They taught and they prayed. The pastors teach and lead. That's what we're called to do. Not the labor. Sorry. just doesn't work that way. There's a story uh, I read from a, a church in Dubai. Uh, that place over the Middle East that I still get wrong about where it is. Um, Mike, you can help me on that one. Uh, United Arab Emirates, there we go, UAE. Um, Christian Church in Dubai, I've talked about it before when I, when I got the location wrong. Uh, they, the, a lot of Westerners go to that church, but a lot of, it, it's a very, very multinational church. And some of the Westerners uh, decided, hey, let's do kind of like an Operation Christmas Child, except just locally. Let's do shoeboxes for a particular group. Uh, a, a number of Chinese people would come into uh, Dubai to, to be laborers. Uh, didn't speak the language, they didn't have a lot of money, so they were coming in and they were having to do uh, the, the whatever job they could get and ended up being laborers. This church decided, let's make shoe boxes of, of toiletries and, and you know this, the sorts of things that would help someone who didn't have a lot. I mean, that, that's what they were doing. And, we can discuss whether that's a, a good ministry or not, doesn't matter. But what happened was the church said, that's a great idea, let's do that. They got all these boxes together and they brought them and put them in the pastor's office and said, here you go, distribute them. That is not the correct function of the church. What they should have done was take those boxes and make a point as individuals, as church members, to take those shoe boxes to a, a Chinese family and say, here, I want to help you. 
I want to do something for you in the name of Jesus. Build a relationship with them. But because of a mentality that said, well, we've got this great idea. We can bring this together. But now, staff, go minister to people. No, church, minister to people. Every opportunity that you get. This is the reason deacons are the second and final office of the church. The whole week is in deacons were started because the pastors, the apostles, needed to devote themselves to studying God's word and preparing to lead the people to be what they're supposed to be. So deacons were, deacons were set up not to, to be decision-making counsel, and that's not what our deacons are, but to be servants, to serve the people. That's why we have committees to serve. That's why we have Sunday school teachers to serve. That's what a church does. And that is the biblical way a church functions. But the church is, uh, this is different though from the mission. This is not the mission. The mission is our task. What we do is how we fulfill the task. So, what is our mission? The mission of the church is God's strategic plan for evangelism with one overarching mission. To go to all peoples to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That is our mission. That is what we are called to do as the church. But Acts 2, 47 shows us that the first church did that. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, every day the Lord added to their number those were, that were being saved. People weren't just coming up to the houses where they were meeting, walking up to them at lunch and saying, hey, I want to believe in Jesus. This was a group this was a people who understood that their mission, our task, is evangelism as individuals. A culture of evangelism. That's what we are called to be as a church. And that's what we see that church doing. It was a culture of evangelism. As I said last week, they did not know anything but evangelizing as a church. What else were they going to do? They had existed for a whole three hours. They, they didn't have an idea to have committees or anything like that. All they knew was, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about the Bible and we're going to understand Scripture better, and then we're going to go tell other people that this Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Messiah. And people were saying, what must we do to be saved? Because they were cut to the heart by the message of the gospel, and they were responding, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the church was growing and who was doing that the people were doing that because it was a culture of evangelism there was a church in austin where a consultant was asked an evangelism consultant was asked to come and talk to my church about creating a culture of evangelism here and so the gentleman went, and, and he, he did his presentation on a Saturday or whatever, and he got a question during a Q&A time. Mr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, there's a group, a community, a large community of Vietnamese people here in our town. What is our church, what is the church going to do to reach those people? And the man who was giving the... Uh, the seminar said, that's a great question. Let me tell you what you could do to reach those people. You could learn about Vietnamese culture. You could go to some Vietnamese restaurants and find out about their food. You could learn a few phrases, hello, thank you, nice to meet you, in Vietnamese, so that you're prepared to go into that community and talk to them. 
You can uh, then, once you know those phrases, you could go into the community. Do a little research and figure out what the struggles are for a Vietnamese community in uh, as cosmopolitan a city as Austin is. Still, it's Texas. I mean, it's, 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 it's Austin, but it's Texas. Let me tell you, it, what is it like for those people? Understand them. What would it take to live among them? To, to go to, to send your kids to school among them? And the pastor of that church was so relieved that the, uh, the, the, the expert didn't stand up there and say, that is a great question. What needs to happen is your church needs to start a Vietnamese outreach ministry. He didn't say that. He said, you go to the Vietnamese people. And you come to church on Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday and uh, e-groups and whatever they called them. And you spend time learning the Bible, learning the gospel, spending time together as a family of, of believers, maybe as a family of, of blood relatives or adopted relatives or whatever your family unit looks like but, uh, as a family together learning the scriptures so that when the time comes that you get to minister to somebody you do it you don't say when someone has a question for you great question uh, I'll tell let me get you the pastor on the phone pastor I have somebody who wants to get saved great tell them how do the work of the church a culture of evangelism is grassroots. It's not top-down. Remember what I said earlier? That you cannot uh, regulate, coerce, command, or amend a culture of evangelism. You cannot get a 10-step program or a policy change that's going to get us a, a culture of evangelism. I can preach on evangelism for the next 10 years every Sunday, and all you're going to say is I'm just preaching on the same thing. You're not going to change just because I get up here and say, hey, we need to change the church. We only change the church when the grassroots change and we have a bottom-up response to what God wants to do in our community and in our world through us. The first church didn't wait for programs and strategies. Didn't wait for the apostles to give them a Roman road or a 3151. Is that what we're doing? 3151? Uh, didn't wait for faith evangelism to come out or Christian witness training or evangelism explosion. They didn't wait for all that. All they knew was, we've got Jesus. They don't. We need to take that to them. So they did. That was a culture of evangelism. Last story I'll tell about a lady named Abigail who lived in uh, Washington. Business lady. Coming back from a, a plane trip somewhere, she sat next to a person uh, who, uh, a young lady named Van from China who was coming to America uh, as a student and was going to live actually in Boston but was going to spend a few days in Washington. Struck up the conversation with her next to uh, right next to her on the plane and let me stop the story right there for you I'm already breaking out in hives okay just the idea of talking to somebody on an airplane like that that you've never met I'm not a conversationalist anybody who's talked to me for any length of time uh, unless you get to me talking about a, a topic that I really love I'm not a conversationalist 
So I understand some of you are thinking, she talked to that lady just out of the blue. Others of you are going, yeah, of course she did. Not me. I understand it's not me. And I understand for some of you that's not you. But y'all, being a Christian is not you either. Following Jesus is not you or me either. We have got to determine in our hearts that we are going to stop being what's comfortable and start doing what's uncomfortable because the gospel is more important than our comfort. That's what we have to do. Do things that are risky and dangerous, number 10 of a culture of evangelism. And so Abigail sat on this plane and did an incredibly risky, dangerous thing and talked to somebody she didn't know. And this young lady was interested in, she had, she, fresh out of, I believe it was China, fresh out of China, she, she didn't have any idea of American culture other than what she had possibly seen on TV, which is never a good example, or at least rarely. So Abigail said, you know what? I'm going uh, to be at a wedding here in just a few days at my church. I think I know what church, though the story didn't tell me what church. It was probably Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, a wonderful, wonderful Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Baptist church. And she, said, and she said, would you like to see an American Christian wedding? And this young lady said, absolutely. And Abigail could invite her to that because she knew who was getting married, knew the pastor that was doing it, and knew because of the culture of evangelism in that church that the gospel would be shared at the very least by the pastor performing the marriage. Folks, if you ever ask me to do a wedding and ask me not to present the gospel, I'm going to tell you no. Every wedding and every funeral, I present the gospel. Because it is a culture of evangelism that we will evangelize anyone who comes. And so she knew that the pastor would be preaching the gospel. Turns out that not only did the pastor preach the gospel, the couple shared the gospel. And it talked about, they, they really ended up talking more about the bride and bridegroom on earth than they did the bride and the bridegroom there in front of them. It talked more about Jesus and his marriage to the church than these two marrying each other because of the culture of evangelism. After the wedding, Abigail went out to the playground, took her kids out to the playground, and Van followed her and asked questions. Why is that different from uh, a, a regular American wedding? How is that different from uh, what we have done in, in China, and as Abigail talked to her, she was able to weave the gospel into the conversation. It's different because we believe that a wedding, a human wedding, is a picture of what, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, a picture of what happens when Jesus saves someone. We are married. He is the groom. We are the bride. So she was able to weave that. And she said, do you have a Bible? Well, no, she didn't. So, because the church had a culture of evangelism and wanted every opportunity to reach out to anyone they could, she knew that there were Mandarin Bibles in the office. So she went and gave this young lady her first Bible and said, I would love to meet with you a couple of times a week, and we could kind of go through that and, you know, help your English. Little English as a second language class on the side with just uh, Abigail and Van, but use the Bible to do that. I'd love to read through it with you. And she said, absolutely, that would be great. And after three weeks, 
van moved on to Boston. But it just so happened that Abigail knew somebody who lived in Boston who went to a good church in Boston and said, Hey, I know this young lady that is moving to Boston who is just now getting into the Bible. And she would love to have, I'm certain, someone to help her with the Bible. Would you be willing to do that? And that person in Boston said, Absolutely, because she went to a church and was a part of a church that was a culture of evangelism. And when Van moved, she could pass her off and say, now you've got someone else that will take you through that. Now, what did the church do in all that? Where was the ministry to Chinese exchange students? Nowhere. That was one person seeing her responsibility to share the gospel, to bring anyone and everyone who came across her path to Christ. Now, she knew that she could take that person to church any time. And at any point, any person in that church would be ready, willing, and able to share the gospel with that person. Remember, we talked about that in the, uh, the ten uh, yearnings of a culture uh, of evangelism in the church, where it is a team effort, it is a unified effort, so that when someone invites someone else to church and we know that person isn't a Christian, maybe it's because of their uh, reputation that precedes them, maybe it's because something that we see and perceive about them, but we know they're not a Christian, and rather than recoil because such a one would dare to darken the doors of our church, we rejoice at the fact that somebody brought somebody to church to hear about Jesus. And we get excited about it. And we say, what can I do to do something like that too? That is a culture of evangelism. The mission of the church has not changed in 2,000 years. Just our willingness to fulfill it. And so, this morning, nearly slung my microphone off. This morning, we have gathered as a local body of born-again believers, baptized believers. I pray this morning, there's somebody here that does not know Jesus as their Savior. And you're not thinking, wow, he yells, I'm not coming back. No, I don't. That was like a first time in a year and a month, so give me, a, give me a break. But we have gathered as a local body of baptized believers. We have worshipped this morning. We've sung of our rescue. We've sung of how God has made us glad because of what he has done in our lives through Jesus Christ. We have sung our, and praised Adonai, a, a majestic term of worship for God. We have met with our Savior in worship we have heard God's word preached. You will never hear me preach me. You will always hear me preach the Bible. I may give illustrations from my life. I may not. I'm not the greatest one in the world to be an example sometimes when we're talking about things like evangelism. When we're talking about uh, forgiveness, I'll, I'll give you a good example of something in my life. When we talk about following God's will, I'll give you my negative example and my positive example from my life. But sometimes I just have to say, I stink at this too. God is working on me as well. I need to hear this message as much as you, but I will always present the Bible as the example and not myself. And we've heard that this morning. I pray you've heard that this morning. But now we must go out and do ministry. We must reach the lost. Most of you will go to a restaurant today, right after this. We may or may not beat the Methodists. We will beat the Pentecostals. I've just seen it every Sunday. Uh, it's just that we do. 
but you're going to have an opportunity to do ministry. Will you do ministry? Statistically, the person that waits on your table will not be a Christian. Will have no contact with a church. Will not see Jesus today if he, if he or she does not see it see him in you at your table today at that restaurant. So we have the opportunity to do ministry and to reach the lost in just a few minutes. Will we go? But before that, before we leave here, we share the gospel. Because, the Bible says, they found favor with all of the people. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. I pray today that there's someone here with whom we have found favor. And for whatever reason, they have decided to join us today. To hear, they may even know what they were going to hear. Maybe totally shocked by what they've heard so far. Maybe sitting there, you're sitting there thinking, well, that's exactly what I thought you'd say. Regardless, we do not leave here without sharing the gospel. Thank you, thanks to technology today, Anybody around the world can watch the sermons online, and they do. I've had people literally around the world watch, not because I'm great, but probably just because we, there was some connection with somebody to somebody to somebody, so the sermon ends up being watched online. That is an opportunity for our gospel message to go around the world. Thank you to technology. Thank you to the men sitting up in that booth that you can't see that make sure we have that, and every opportunity to share the gospel, we must take it whether it's a simulcast with Beth Moore, whether it's, Sunday, whether it's Sunday morning service, whether it is our Sunday school classes, our e-groups, fellowships, Awana, every chance we must take to share the gospel. So this morning, I'm going to share the gospel. The gospel tells us that God is holy and just, and he will judge sin. He will not let it rest. He will not let it go. He will not act as if nothing is wrong. God will judge sin, and that means he will judge us because we are willfully sinful and fallen, and we are destined to everlasting torment and punishment because of it. That is the reality of who God is versus the reality of who we are, and we lose in that battle. We lose in that comparison. But God did not want to leave it that way. It was never his plan to leave it that way. As a matter of fact, in just the right time, we heard in Sunday school this morning, exactly when God had planned all along, he sent Jesus, the perfect son of God, who took our place on the cross, who took our sin on the cross, could do so because of his sinlessness, because of his perfection, and he died for all people, offering salvation to anyone who would accept it. He rose three days later to prove that he had power over death. Therefore, he also proved he had power over sin. He died for you and me. So this morning, he is asking by his sacrifice, by his words, and we are asking as a body of believers for you to respond to that message, to repent of your sin, to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in Jesus trusting him for your salvation and him alone you cannot save yourself your good it will never be good enough to outweigh your bad your sinfulness you'll never get it balanced you'll never write the blank uh, 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 wipe the slate clean 
Only Jesus Christ can do that as he makes you whole and clean. And then you live for him. Will you do that this morning? Will you trust Christ? Turn to him. Follow him. Be a part of the church. Be a part of this church. And be a part of the culture of of evangelism that says we will take the gospel to everyone, anywhere, anytime because everyone needs to hear it so that some might be saved. That is our prayer for you as you deal with what God is dealing with you in your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you use us. Thank you that you have seen fit for your gospel to go out from these people, from us, that we are your instruments. We are the tools in your shed to be used to share the gospel. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would begin in our hearts to prepare ourselves to be, to have a culture of evangelism in our church, that we would be truly focused on getting the foundation right, We are a church that functions as a church should. But then as we get the basics and as we build on that foundation, ministries and outreach opportunities, Lord, that it is the people that are going and doing, empowered by uh, prayer, empowered by Scripture, empowered by your Holy Spirit, empowered by spending time together as a faith family and taking that gospel to a lost, hurting dying, damned world. God, may we take seriously our mission. And may we see a culture of evangelism rise in our church. God, may you work on hearts this morning. And may someone respond to your salvation, your glorious, gracious, wonderful salvation through Jesus Christ today. As they recognize their sinfulness and their complete need for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how should you respond? Maybe you need to accept Christ this morning. Maybe you need to be baptized. You want to lead a life of holiness. There's some stuff you've got to pray about and give to the Lord. Maybe that's what's going on this morning. Maybe you want to join our church, be a part of this fellowship. We have another discovery class, new members class coming up in October. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. I know what he's doing in mine. Y'all heard some of it today. But what's he doing in yours? As we sing this morning, as we pray, as we seek God's face, let's all stand together. Let's do business with God today.